to Simply Remarkable, created by Remarkable, a Speakers Bureau. We're so glad you're here. I'm Sue Falcone, your host for today, founder and CEO of Remarkable. Now, why did we begin this show? We did this for you. We want you to know the talent that we represent at Remarkable as personal as we do. Yes, we know every one of our represented talent here personally. And you never know, you might be looking for that special speaker. You might be looking or know someone that is. We never know. You'll also see just how remarkable our guests are and how they can help you be remarkable too. Thanks for joining us and our active chat line is open. Sometimes you never let us know you're there and that is fine with us because we know you're there. And feel free to send us your questions or comments. We are ready for you. Now, today our special guest is international award-winning customer experience keynote speaker, best-selling author and executive consultant, David Averin. Now, he is one of the most in-demand customer experience speakers on the planet, and he shares his content-rich, entertaining, and actual presentations with audiences all over North America and the whole world. He just got back from Dubai. Now, let me ask you this. How much do you remember from the last keynote speaker you heard? Chances are, probably not much. But with David, you're going to remember his content, his hard hitting, and all the entertainment that he brings to you. So you, will, he will be the best one you have ever heard. Now, welcome, David. We welcome you to Remarkable today, and uh, thanks for thanks for coming. Absolutely, thank you, thank you for the the gracious introduction. Um, it's it's a great time in this business right now. It's a great time as organizations are getting back together. I think we realize we need to get our feet under the same table. We need to be in the same room. We need to uh, we need the serendipity of those unexpected conversations that happen in the hallways. And I know that organizations are looking at every way of meeting. It's virtual. It's in person. And I'm just thrilled that that we're meeting again. Um, because a, it's my livelihood and it feeds my my family and pays for my five colleges I'm paying for. But because business is back, and it's really an exciting time to uh, to be in the meetings industry. Great, and thanks for joining us. And you know, this thirty minutes goes by so fast, David. Now, where are you coming to us from? Um, I'm actually back in the office, which is a rare thing and a nice thing. I'm just south of Denver in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is a nice place, kind of in the middle. I can get almost anywhere in the world with with a maximum of one connection, so it's a good place to be based. That's great. And it's not that early for you. So we're, we're thankful that you got up with us and can join us here today. Thank you now, as well. David, let me ask this because people always ask, they want to know some personal stuff. So I said, I always ask that. No problem. All right. David, where did you grow up and did you always want to be a speaker and an author? That's a great question. I, I was born in Los Angeles. My, my father was a rocket scientist, grew up in LA and he was... Uh, Lockheed Martin and and worked on the Mars missions and all that as well, which brought us to Colorado. 
And so uh, I didn't always want to be a speaker. I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I knew I talked a lot. You know, I look back at my report cards from, you know, second grade and third grade and constantly has to be reminded to stop talking. Or as my my 24-year-old daughter would say, have you met my dad? Uh, but no, I've, I've just been, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm just an extrovert through and through. And uh, early part of my career, uh, I actually went to college on a full theater scholarship. So I did theater and musicals and all of that. And uh, early in that process, I realized I didn't want to be doing God, you know, theater in God's Wrath, Iowa, when I was 50 years old. And I actually needed to support a wife and kids someday. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I um, actually changed my, my major to broadcast journalism. So that was what I studied in school because I had this deep voice. And of course, everybody said, you should talk on the radio. Uh, I did marketing. I did PR. And I came to recognize about 25 years ago that you can actually get paid to teach what you know. And so that was speaking for me. And that was my introduction to this industry. I never thought of myself, and I still don't think of myself as a motivational speaker. I'm a business speaker. Uh, my presentations are very humorous. Um, there's, they're very entertaining, but I use that strategically to temper a pretty tough message about what it takes to compete and win in business. But in terms of, I wasn't looking for a career as a speaker. Um, I developed expertise in marketing and branding and competitive advantage for 20, 30 years in business. And then I used that knowledge, that perspective, and, and kept my learning and my research to teach others, to teach audiences and to uh, work with organizations, whether I'm a keynote speaker or whether I am consulting or, or facilitating a one or two day workshop. It's about helping others understand what I have come to know and what I have dedicated my life to learning. So speaking is just the vehicle. Um, my, my career has been spent um, just getting smart. And, um, and I'm, I'm really fortunate to do something that really aligns with my skill sets and my orientation, as I said, very much the extrovert. But uh, I, used, I, I spent early part of my career uh, in the evenings. I sang in, a, in an acapella group. And so we did, actually did it professionally. So I would spend my days as PR director at Children's Hospital. And by night, we played rock star. And, and sang a lot of clubs and had CDs and things like that. So I kind of look back and I've been on stage my whole life, but now coming up on 60, I know hard to believe 60. Um, that's what I do. That's what speaking is for me. It's, it's business. It's communicating business insights and helping organizations future proof their business. This is fabulous. That's, that's a fabulous story. Isn't it? I mean, really it tells us, Hey, you can do it at any time. And well, here's the other thing, Sue, is how many of us are living the script that we wrote for our lives when we were 18 years old, right? We all have the things we wanted to be when we grew up. I'm doing something I didn't even know existed as a career because that wasn't my intention. My intention was to get really smart in business. And so I love that this is a vehicle and a venue to help others with what I have learned. I certainly understand that because mine certainly is different than what I thought. I really wanted to be a country western singer. That was my cue. So I understand about that music thing. I mean, we got to have that music thing going on. But now you have written an international, and I love your background. Everyone take a look at his background. Isn't that great? With my book strategically located here next to my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right there. But he wrote this book called Why Customers Leave and how to win them back. Now, let me ask you, David, sure. how did you get into the topic of customer experience and all about the consumer, that whole thing? How, sure. how did you get in and be that expert in that what, field? It's a good question because that wasn't my intention. 
Um, it came about because the world had changed. And I'm really fortunate. This book has, has really struck a nerve. We're in six languages now around the world for my, my why customers leave. But it came about, I spent much of my career in marketing and branding, helping organizations craft the words that really effectively communicated their differentiation, their value proposition. What do we say that's, that's different? And then I realized probably six or seven years ago that the marketplace had changed. And it wasn't that I was chasing what was new. It was already happening. And we got to the point where what we said about ourselves, while certainly not unimportant, is less impactful today, far less impactful today than what other people say about us. And so as I was helping them craft the words, and people were less enamored with that, and they were, they were gravitating towards uh, social proof. They were looking at Yelp and TripAdvisor and Rotten Tomatoes to help them make better decisions. What was the consensus in the marketplace? And so that's what led to my research, which led to the book, Why Customers Leave. Um, and so it was about, and that was sort of my journey into customer experience as well, as I looked at my own experiences anecdotally, and then so many others that I had talked to as well. And there began to emerge some themes as to what companies were doing inadvertently to shoot themselves in the foot. And uh, that's what I articulated. I think I came up with 24 different things that companies were doing, whether it was um, being inflexible, whether it was making us wait for things, over-surveying, all of those kinds of things. And so the book, a lot of humor in it. I sort of look at it as a little bit of a rant, but organizations to be able to look at it and say, you know, I think we're guilty of that. And things that may make sense logistically, make, make, make sense financially within an organization, but are at the same time frustrating customers causing friction in that process. And so now it has even morphed and I've got another book since then called The Morning Huddle, but it's morphed into my, my overarching message, which is to compete and win in business, you have to become uh, ridiculously easy to do business with. And so that was my shift. My shift was from marketing and branding as the significant competitive advantage to recognizing how we feel as customers or clients or patients or constituents that's what's driving our decisions of who we buy from or work with or purchase from. And uh, it's been a great journey. And what's, what's really fun about it is that it's always changing and growing. And certainly COVID had a significant impact in what we expect of, our, of the companies that we work with in terms of speed and flexibility and convenience as being primary drivers today. So I made a pretty wholesale shift in my business uh, because the marketplace had, had shifted as well. And that's key to listen to them, you know, to the people, because that's exactly what we're all about. It's, it's all about people. You know? right. and that's, that's the key thing. And, and being current and current and relevant. And I talk, we, you and I both, we know we talk to other speaker colleagues. And I have wonderful, brilliant colleagues, but there's always that category of them that have the same message they had 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And think how much we have changed. Think about how, how we communicate has changed and how we do business. So we have to stay on top of, of what's new and new research and new insights to help companies future-proof their business. Exactly. That's, that's the deal, to future-proof your business. Now, I have to say that real slow. Yes. Future-proof <laughs> your business, okay? Now, that leads into the next question that you kind of answered, but sure. I want a little bit more depth here. Of, how have our customers really changed since COVID? And do you see that there's a, a new shift 
even after pre-COVID, you know, came out now another shift. Do you see that happening? Yeah, well, I think it's it's a continuum. And I think a lot of this started prior to COVID. And the the, the changes in the marketplace and how we buy and how we connect and how we communicate in, in many ways, and I'm and I'm so optimistic about that. As a consumer, it's awesome. Um, there's almost nothing that we can't have, if we can afford it, delivered to our house whenever we want it. I ask audiences all the time, I say, anybody notice that your customers and clients are a little more impatient, a little more demanding? And I, and I get this look on my face like, yeah, welcome to my world. Well, that's, that's the shift. And the shift is we have this amazing new uh, generation of conveniences and choices and options. Our choices used to be, who do we buy from? Or what products do they have available? Today, the choices are, how do we buy? Do we buy online? Do we buy on purchase? Can we do it with our, our, our facial recognition? Uh, are, are things automatic? Can we buy with one click? Which is, of course, one thing that Amazon has ushered into the marketplace is that we have changed because our expectations for speed and flexibility and access. You know, I, I would talk to organizational leaders all the time. And I, and I have spoken to over 500 CEO groups over the years, half-day presentations, individual conversations with over 7,000 CEOs. And I ask them, <clears throat> what are your competitive advantages? And I always get some version of, it, it comes down to quality and commitment and caring and trust and people. And I get all that and not unimportant. Here's what the research shows today, Sue. People are prioritizing speed and flexibility and convenience and accommodation for unique scenarios. Now, all of that is with an expectation that you're good at what you do. And the reality is we expect that everybody's good or at least good enough, because if you weren't good, you would be outed very quickly, right? On Yelp or TripAdvisor or any of those as well. So when everybody's good and there's a perception that everybody's good or they wouldn't be in business, we are gravitating towards convenience. Okay, if everybody can do it, and everybody's fairly compatible and uh, comparable in terms of price. Who can get it to me faster? Who answers their phone? And so when we look at the, some of these um, modalities in terms of how we do business, uh, the, the mindset in terms of how accommodating we are in our conversations, that has turned into uh, a significant differentiation. And all of it is driven, back to your question, Sue, is that our expectations, our in terms of customers and clients, our expectations have changed. There are traditional business models who did nothing wrong. Toys R Us did nothing wrong. Bed Bath & Beyond did nothing wrong other than not recognizing how their customers had changed, their customers' preferences for how they buy, how easy. Um, now Bed Bath & Beyond, just the name itself was bought by Overstock, and they are now bedbathandbeyond.com. I questioned the wisdom of adopting the name of a failing brand. But the only reason they failed, we didn't dislike Bed Bath & Beyond. Mm -hmm. We just changed how we bought those items. We bought them on Amazon. We bought them on Overstock or whatever that might be because the convenience was great. We're going to see, and we can lament the loss of a, uh, of a company like Toys R Us, but I don't think anybody's struggling to find toys as a result. Every one of these disruptions, in by and large, is really good for consumers because we found a better way better by some measure, faster, differentiated in some way. So um, I think that's the change, is that we've changed because we've had some of these really remarkable conveniences. And uh, and it's, that part's not going to slow down. Okay. That was one of my next questions. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't mean to jump ahead too much for you, but go that's ahead. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you're th we're thinking on the same wavelength. Yeah. But 
So you're telling us the top two things that the reasons why customers leave is speed and flexibility, right? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot more than that. I mean, I think it's it's anything right. that has to do with um, things that cause us frustration. It, that, that doesn't bode well for a company. If we are frustrated, um, uh, Roger Dooley wrote a great book called Friction. And I, I'll never look at the world the same again because there's so many things that are unnecessarily complicated or unnecessarily delayed. If you walk into a place and there's a big long line of people and you're like, what is going on? You know, you could have the greatest products in the world, but if you make them make us wait for it, then it's a level of frustration. And I'm not naive in terms of the constraints that that businesses have. Labor is very difficult. Labor is very expensive. And so I don't expect that I can get myself, uh, I can't, I don't expect I can get a haircut at four o'clock in the morning, but I absolutely expect that I can make an appointment to do so. And so it's for organizations to control what they can, because I, I think back to your question <clears throat> about what are the top two, I think there's a variety of things that cause us frustration. It can be delay. It can be a perception that you're inflexible. When you like, Sue, if you're with some of your friends and you're at a restaurant and you order a chicken Caesar salad and you say, can I get shrimp instead of chicken? What's the answer? The answer is always, I'm so sorry, no menu substitutions. Ridiculous. I mean, why? It's just a different protein. They can throw a different protein on her, charge you a couple extra dollars and you're thrilled, but we're inflexible for really no reason. And the pushback I get, I, I suggest things like this all the time. The pushback I get, well, if we do it for her, we have to do it for everybody. And my response is, no, you don't. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <clears throat> but understand there's consequences. So if somebody else wants a, an easy accommodation and you can do it, why not do it? I mean, look at the lifetime value of a customer. If somebody's not happy, they just don't come back. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're stopping a major manufacturing effort for a one-off. But if there's little things that we can do to accommodate, that's the simplest thing right now. I was, I was, I was leaving a hotel once at like 7 in the morning. And I stopped at the front and I said, can I get a, can I get a, a, a late checkout, please? I'm in 227 or whatever my room was. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. We're not doing any late checkouts. We have a conference coming in. And my manager said, we can't do any. We have to get, we have to get all the rooms ready. And I said, I'm leaving. Like now I got to, but I'm done at noon. I could be back by 1230. And she says, you need to be out by noon. And I said, well, I, I, I can't. And she goes, well, we're going to have to charge you for a second day. Now understand I teach this. And so I paused and I said, okay, if you're going to charge me for a second day, I'm just going to keep the room. I mean, if I pay for it, then I can just keep it. So I'll just, I just won't check out. And I said, but now you don't have a room for that conference attendee that was flying in. Is that the outcome you were looking for? And she's like, uh, she goes in the back. She goes, I'm one o'clock would be fine. Yeah. You think now here's the point. She wanted to say yes to me, but she had a lazy manager. So this, in terms of sort of actionable things, look at your policies and procedures. What are you saying no to that you could easily say yes to? That alone gives you a great competitive advantage in the marketplace. I love that. I love that. That is a great quote. That is a great message because even here at Remarkable, you know, we realized, hey, that's why we have our tag, Book outside the box. Yeah. Well, here's, here's an example. I am I am ridiculously easy to do business with. So during COVID, you and I talked about this before. I did 87 virtual presentations on a webcam in my basement. Now, I built a whole studio. It looked like it was in a cool Chicago loft. I did it standing up with a big big screen behind me. 
it, it, it was great, but um, it's, uh, but when my cl customers or clients want to have a conversation and I have clients all around the world, I'm the one that does it at two o'clock in the morning of those, of those 87 presentations, 11 of those I did between one o'clock and 4 AM between one and 4 AM because this feeds my family because I am ridiculously easy to do business with. And I don't, I don't make them, if I have a call with a client in Singapore or Abu Dhabi or Johannesburg, they're not talking at one in the morning. I am. Right. And it's the same thing about, that's what's remarkable, Sue, about yours as well, is the answer is yes. What's the question, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean we do things that are unprofitable, but that's, I want to be differentiated from my competitors as well. I don't have a, I don't make people fill in a, 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 a web form, a contact form on my website. <clears throat> I have my, my phone number and my cell number and my staff has their cell numbers and I'll get calls in the middle of the night. Does it happen all the time? Of course not. But, but this feeds my family. And so I don't make people jump through hoops. You and I were talking about this with podcasts. I get invited to a lot of podcasts. And sometimes I'll say, well, I'll say yes when I can. And then I've got a 15-page thing I'm supposed to fill out to do their research. I'm like, you invited me. Why am I doing the work? And so, but once again, it's a broad message for business. It's about being ridiculously easy to do business with. That is, that is so key because you have to. Yeah. If you want to be in this world of business today, you have to, you know, because someone asks us all the time, what are your hours? I said, what are your hours? There you go. Right answer, Sue. Right answer. Now, I mean, uh, that to me is real simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it didn't even, I didn't, you know, I read all your books though, but, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, hey, we're available. Yeah. Well, for you, for your listeners and those who are watching this podcast, if you have a voice in your head that says, yeah, but we need life balance and we can't work on it's not going to happen very often. Uh, we've all been the person who ran up to some dry cleaner or something in a strip mall, you know, right at six o'clock as they're locking the door, right? And we walk outside and go, please, 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 just one second. Sorry, we're closed. Okay. I mean, you have every right to do that, but you're running a business. My gosh, somebody wants to come in at the last minute. Okay. Right. It's, it's, it's because most won't. Most companies won't. This is a great opportunity to differentiate yourself. When somebody else is inflexible, you can be flexible. When some, when some other company turns off their phones and immediately goes to voicemail at five o'clock, have yours go to voicemail at 510, right? Have that conversation with, I mean, you want to future-proof your business. You want your employees to, uh, to have job security, be more flexible than others. And today's day and age, Sue, it's not that hard because so many are so inflexible. Well, and that even planning this show, our broadcast director, Lisa Raymond, she said, I said, I don't want just a podcast. She says, I understand that. That's what everybody's used to, right. you know? So we developed a live stream where everybody can join us live. Love that. Okay. Then this afternoon, this becomes a rebroadcast and permanently sits on our YouTube channel. So they can come back and refer to you at all times. Then next Wednesday, it becomes a podcast as well. So we've got three audiences, three different needs, three different uh, advantages there because we felt like that was what we wanted to stand out. Right. And, and, and you're, also providing, you're also providing a live conversation as opposed to one that's overly edited. I said before, I said, whatever happens, happens. Let's have a great conversation. 
and let's invite other people to listen in. Exactly. Right? That that's makes exactly what happens. Now, you've yep. told us this. It's not who it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Can you tell us the one big tip of how do we get customers to know us? I, I think it comes down to, boy, of course, you make me give one. Um, there's so many ways well, to do it. But, but I can have a few minutes. Okay. No, that's right. But here's the broad one is it's what's different. You know, we have wonderful colleagues, uh, Sally Hogshead and, and Scott McCain and others who talk about differentiation and distinction. And I do as well because we're all right. Um, competence <clears throat> is is the entry fee. Excellence is the entry fee. I was, I was keynoting a conference and right before me, the CEO was on and he was doing this rah-rah speech and it was, and it was great talking about here's what we're going to do for the year. And at the end, this was really interesting. He says, and remember at the end of the day, it's about quality. We will win on quality and everybody cheers or whatever. And I thought to myself, I, I could not disagree more. At the end of the day, it's not about quality. At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. Quality is the entry fee. Quality is not the differentiator today. It's so hard to hear. I know as business leaders, quality gives you permission to do business in the marketplace. You better be good or the marketplace will figure it out. At the beginning of the day, it's about quality. But at the end of the day, it's about competitive advantage. It's not what do you do well? What do you do better than others who do it well? So back to your question, Sue, about how do you be known in the marketplace? It's what do you do better than others who do it well? Uh, get the voice out of your head. Everyone who thinks that that your competitors are consistently underperforming and the only reason people have but to know that you exist and they're going to all move over to you. <clears throat> and the reality is most of our, our customers, well, let me say it again. The reality is most of our competitors are great and they're good people and they're working hard and they're feeding their family just like us. Our biggest challenge is that our competitors are really good at what they do and they're really good people. So to be known in the marketplace is you have to really focus in on what you do different or better or faster or smarter. Don't take your eye off the ball. You've got to be good at what you do, but highlight what makes you different. Highlight what is that about your business or your product or your service that nobody else is doing or you do, you're, you're doing better. And it can't be a broad dismissible thing like because we care more or here's what it's like to do business with people who really love what they do. Because nobody believes it. Give us something tangible. Um, pick a lane. And and doesn't mean that everybody else's money isn't good and that you'd love to market to a lot of people. But who is your best perfect customer client? And are you known for being the best for them? Maybe your differentiator is you're just able to respond faster. You've created systems and processes that allow them to talk to a real person. Maybe your differentiator is a level of technology that allows us to access your business remotely or giving us a broad spectrum of choices for your oldest customers to your youngest customers. Um, but once again, to answer your question, I think to be known in the marketplace is not just being known for your quality. It's, it's the most dismissible claim out there. It's not, a, not only what are you great at, but what makes you different. I love that. Okay. Preferable. We tell everyone, you don't have to write notes. Remember, you're going to have this permanently. So you can go back and look at it all the time. Watch it again. Watch it again. Yeah, I, do it. <clears throat> I do it all the time because I said, oh, I missed that. But in looking back, David, mm -hmm. from where you started, what is it today that makes you smile? 
where you're at today? What is it that makes you smile? In my life or in my business? Both. Okay, great, great question. Um, I'm, I'm a really, really lucky man. Uh, we, are, we are new empty nesters. My, my beautiful wife and I, we got five kids grown and gone. Doesn't mean they're off the payroll, but at least they're out of the house. And um, I remember my father had something. My, my parents have passed away, but my father had said something to me many years ago. He said, there is this great satisfaction when your adult kids or your kids grow up and they're friends with each other. Because I remember when they beat on each other, like my brothers and sisters and I, and I'm in this really cool place that my, my kids are between 20 and 29 years old, all out there making their way in the world. A couple still in school, others are out of school. But what really makes me smile is seeing how great of friends they are with each other. And sometimes, you know, it's because they have a common enemy, which is me. Um, no, we have great relationships. But when they say things like, well, you know how dad is. And I'm like, wait, 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 how is dad? Right. But the fact that they had a shared experience growing up and that they were, I was able to take them on some really cool daddy trips uh, because I speak for a living and I get to go to some pretty cool places. I have great memories with each of those, but I'm in a place in my life as I turn 60 this year um, of loving watching my kids not only spread their wings and make it in the world, but loving how much time they spend with each other and talking to each other. And so that's one of the things that really makes me smile today. That's wonderful. Now, in closing, can you believe this 30 minutes just goes by? Like, oh, my, we have to do it again soon. I know. And you, we, we will have you back soon. And in closing, David, what are you going to do today to be remarkable? What am I going to do today? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think what I'm going to do today is, is, as I do every day, I'm very clear on why I do what I do. Uh, people talk about it, that their, their job as a speaker is to step into their power and speak their truth. And I just think that's nonsense. Sorry. I mean, it doesn't mean my job is to help my customers and clients fulfill their goals, right? That feeds my family and uh and move their needle or whatever that might be i don't look at the stage as my therapy uh, my job is to do what i do and i'm fortunate that i love what i do and so when i'm sending communication when i'm talking to my my clients or my prospective clients all around the world um, i love being an investigative reporter i love having the conversations to find out what are their challenges um it, it's and i don't mean to sound so so self aggrandizing that I'm so other focused. This is my business. And so when I talk to clients and they tell me what they're struggling with, or they tell me, here's the challenges we had with last year's meeting, whatever else. And I know I've got a good solution for that. I know I can help them. Um, and then, and, and in doing so, I'm going to see smiles in the audience and I'm going to pay my bills and they're going to, they're going to think I'm a hero for the content that I brought. That's how I, am remarkable in that I'm, I'm just really focused. I know why I do what I do. And to be honest, I'm just going to do it till noon today. And then I'm going to take the doors off my Jeep and I'm going to go put my sunglasses on and I'm going to go drive through the Colorado mountains and just enjoy the breeze and the nature and, uh, and have good balance in my life. And I love the pictures that you post while you're doing that too. I mean, look, this man knows how to show us his personal life as well. And, and just thank you so much. And to our audience today, our challenge to you is, what are you going to do today to be remarkable? 
You've heard a lot of things here. You never know what challenges you today, but we'd love for you to put it in the comments or the chat or share it with us because we just want to make sure that we are hitting your spot and making sure that, you know, we'd love for you to know why, what you're doing to be remarkable because some people don't think they're remarkable anymore and they really are. So this is, this is a way to do this. And thank you so much, David, for joining us. And I, you will come back. We will know that. And Absolutely. Love to do that. If you want to have David at your next event, <laughs> I think you do. And you can contact us today. His schedule gets booked very quickly. So please contact us and we will make sure that can happen and that you will have the date that you actually want. And everyone, we hope you will come back with us next Friday, August 18th when our guest will be international keynote speaker, TEDx speaker. He's the first legally blind division one athlete and an ex NFL free agent as legally blind and an executive coach. Now Aaron Golub. He started his journey as a speaker in high school when he was asked to go on the good morning America show when he committed to play football at Tulane University, legally blind. He knew that that message would generate and impact millions and that threw him right in to what he became and how he shares his message today. Now, he leaves organizations and teams with strategies to change and you will just have an outstanding time. So we hope you will join us for that outstanding speaker next week. And we invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we don't want you to miss an episode of our show and that you can go back and review them because there are so many nuggets that you get just from this short 30 minutes. And again, we thank you for joining us today and we hope you have a remarkable summer. This is a happy, fabulous Friday. And this is August. It's the national birth month of the year. So having a birthday like I am. Soon. I wish you a happy birthday in August. And we will see you next Friday. Bye.